Friends, now hear the first reading of the morning from the Gospel according to John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Listen now for God's word to you this day. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, good morning. Our second text is uh, from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, uh, verses 26 through 38. Continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be done with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it is a real joy uh, to be with you here this morning. I want to first uh, say thank you to your session and to my uh, friend and colleague, Matthew Ruffner, your pastor. Uh, for the invitation to share in this Advent journey with you here at Preston Hollow. This is actually my second visit to Preston Hollow. I didn't get a chance to worship the first time I was here. I was here uh, under the hospitality of Blair Money, your beloved uh, former pastor, uh, who was a friend of mine, part of the community of pastors. He hosted us here back in 2012. Um, it's a group that we would, uh, where we gather together for fellowship and uh, for fun and for learning. And Blair, uh, as many of you who've known him, uh, was the consummate host and showed us a wonderful time, including giving us the opportunity to meet Roger Stallback, which was, um, 
which was actually pretty good, pretty cool. Um, it, it's, it's really good uh, to be in worship, and uh, I just want to say to the choir, wow, um, I've got room in my suitcase. <laughs> if anyone, sorry Mark, if anyone would like to come uh, to Atlanta, thank you for your ministry. Thank you so very much for your leadership and the gifts that you bring in and through uh, this place. It's good to be back with friends, too, like Webb and Allison Cochran, colleagues from seminary. Um, and, and just on a very personal note, uh, it is a joy uh, to be in worship with Jens Korndorfer. Jens and I were on staff together at First Pres Atlanta for nine years. Uh, by my count, we probably planned and led over a thousand worship services uh, together. So to get another crack at it in Dallas is really fun. Um, Jens left us recently uh, as Baylor poached him from us. Um, no offense to all the Bears who are out there, but I'm still in my feelings about that. Um, to be on their music faculty, uh, Jens, as you've heard, is a brilliant, brilliant musician. Uh, and it really is wonderful to be with you, my friend. Vielen Dank. Uh, with that, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Lord, we pray that you break open your word afresh to us this day so that we would be challenged, that we would be changed, uh, that we would be different people than those who came into this sacred space, those who have tuned in online, that by your word and by your spirit, we would even be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, more than a decade ago, I was serving as the senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Allentown, Pennsylvania, in the Lehigh uh, Valley portion of the state. I was uh, putting luminaries out uh, on the front of our house, on the sidewalk, and on the walkway that led to our front door. Uh, it was that time of year where all of the neighbors would put luminaries out, and I noticed across the street my neighbor, Neil, was also doing the same. Uh, we waved to each other. I thought that was going to be it, and he came across the street, uh, walked over to me, and he said, Tony, uh, you're a pastor. I've got a question for you. And his face showed sort of a, a pensiveness, a concern. Uh, I wondered, what would this inquiry be? I wondered, did he have a question uh, about the doctrine of the incarnation? I wondered if he had a question about what we learn in seminary called the homoousius, how Jesus is the same substance as the Father. I wondered if he wanted to talk about uh, Jesus being one person with two natures. I said, Neil, shoot, go ahead. What, what do you got? What do you want to ask me? He said, Tony, do you know where I can get one of those light-up nativity scenes that I can put in my front yard? <laughs> I said, sorry, Neil, <laughs> I don't. Uh, they didn't teach us that in seminary. <laughs> There's a lot that we don't know. One of the great challenges of this season for any friend of God and any follower of Jesus Christ is to speak with accuracy, with precision, with clarity on the nature of the one whose birth we prepare for. On the nature of the one 
who is Jesus the Christ. And there is a lot that we don't know. A lot is veiled in mystery. But here is one thing that I do know. Here is one thing that I am absolutely certain of. That you and I are children of this light. We are children of this light. If you do not remember anything else from this morning, remember this, that you are a child of the light. And what is more, the life to which we've been called is a journey into that light. We are children of the light and we're called to journey into that light. I know that you're using Celtic expressions of the Christian faith to help guide your Advent journey in this season. And one of the gifts that the Celtic tradition has given us is this space to talk about light and the way that God's light shines in every corner of the world. There is not one place in God's created order where the light does not shine. There's nothing that can undo the truth that you are a child of the light and have been called to walk into the light. Throughout the scriptures, light serves as a, a powerful and, and multifaceted metaphor. Uh, one of the most common uses of light is to mark God's presence and God's guidance in our lives and in the life of the people of God. And one of my favorite examples of this uh, is from Exodus 3. When the Israelites were liberated from slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses, they embarked on a 40-year journey through the wilderness to the land that God had promised. And emblematic of God's providential care for the people, God put a pillar of fire, a pillar of light, to mark God's presence with them and to lead them on in their journey. Listen to what it says in Exodus 3. It says, The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire of light by night to give them light so they might travel by day and by night. Now something that's really important, it's critical to note about this particular text and the arc of this particular story is that though the light was marking the presence of God with the people of God, demonstrating God's providential care of the people, also demonstrating God's leadership and God's guidance of the people, they still wandered for 40 years. For two generations, they, they wandered before they entered the promised land. And there's a fundamental truth to be discovered. It's a hard one, to be sure. Just because we claim our identity as children of the light... And just because we know we, where we are going in the light and toward the light does not mean that the journey will be easy or straightforward or short. It will, at times, be rugged. You and I know this to be true. There are moments, some of us are dealing with it right now, where we have to traverse treacherous terrain. It will be, this journey, at times hard and sad, leading us to places we do not want to go, illuminating things we prefer not to see, both in ourselves 
and in our world. And that's why I'm partial to a concept I learned several years ago from New Testament scholar Robert Kaiser. He talks about this journey as children of the light, uh, following the light uh, in these terms. He says, the Christian journey is a journey on the way home, stumbling in the light. I love that image. Stumbling in the light. For the Christian, the light, of course, is Jesus Christ. He's the light of the world. And on the journey, by grace, we stumble toward him and in him. But make no mistake, we stumble. We trip. We fall all along this journey. Back in September of this year, Harvard Medical School published an article on their website. The title of the piece is How to Fall Without Injury. How to Fall Without Injury. It opens by saying most of our instinctive actions when we start to fall are more likely to get us hurt. You can't always avoid a fall, but you can reduce the injury it may cause. It goes on to list uh, 10 tips on uh, how to fall well. I'm only going to read a few of them. Lean forward into the fall. This gives you some control over direction. Fall sideways if possible. Aim toward open areas and toward grass or dirt rather than concrete. Aim away from other people and away from objects that can cause puncture wounds or fractures. <laughs> this is my favorite. Fall on the soft, fleshy places. <laughs> These areas have more protection and are lower to the ground. Well, kudos to Harvard Medical School <laughs> for addressing... An incredibly practical problem. But good luck to anyone who's able to keep all that in mind as they're falling. Even so, the concept of falling well intrigues me. I don't know if it intrigues you, but it intrigues me. If we know that we're going to stumble in the light, if we know that we're going to get tripped up as we journey in and toward the light who is Jesus Christ, how might we fall well along the journey? How might we learn to stumble properly in faith, hope, and love? I'm not going to provide ten points. I, I want to hit three. In what I have learned in my own spiritual life, my own friendship with God and followership of Christ... How to stumble well. I think we stumble well with bold humility. I think we stumble well with rebellious obedience. And I think we stumble well when we open our eyes and keep them open for the light. So I want to start with bold humility. Bold humility is something I think we see evidence in the life of Mary as she stumbled in the light. We hear this familiar story. We're going to hear it again in this season. From the gospel writer Luke, the angel Gabriel appears and delivers a message to Mary. Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. We know how the story goes. 
And Mary says, how can this be? How is this even possible? I don't understand. And the angel answers, nothing is impossible with God. And it's here, I believe, that Mary is stumbling in the light with bold humility. She's falling well with bold humility. You have to see it in verse 38. And you can only see it or maybe hear it in the way that you read that final line of our text this morning. How do you read that line? Many people come to that line and they read it with great confidence, right? Here am I, Mary says, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. But does she read it with confidence? With everything that we know about Mary and her situation? Perhaps she read it with trepidation, we should read it rather with trepidation, rooted in trust or uncertainty, rooted in faith. The way that I read it intentionally for you this morning. Here am I, the servant of the Lord? Let it be with me according to your word. With all we know about Mary, that's how I hear it. She has no idea how this is going to turn out. She has no idea. She doesn't know how the story will end. She doesn't know where this journey, stumbling in the light, will take her. But with bold humility, she simply says yes. And friends, as you stumble in the light, I'm inviting you to do the same. To say yes, trusting that God will make a way when there seems to be no way. Trusting that God is faithful and will not leave you nor forsake you. Trusting that God is working for your good in all things. In all things. So stumble in the light with bold humility. In addition to bold humility, I'd also invite you to stumble in the light with rebellious obedience. Rebellious obedience. Several years ago, I had plans to meet a friend of mine for a professional hockey game. I was living in Philadelphia at the time. My friend worked downtown, so um, I'd be driving from the western suburbs to meet him. We had a mutual friend who was an executive with the company that owned and managed the the arena where the 76ers and the Flyers, the hockey team, uh, played their home games. And this man had a son named Jack who was six years old and he was part of our church's preschool. And his parents asked me if I could bring Jack down to the stadium, drop him off to his dad who was working there all day. And so I agreed and Jack got in the back of my car. And as we got closer to the sports complex, this little six-year-old said to me from the back seat, Pastor Tony, do you know where you're going? I said, of course, Jack, I grew up here. I know my way around. He said, it doesn't look like you know where you're going. (laughs) A few moments later, Jack said, Pastor Tony, uh, go right here and then pull in that area over there. And he pointed out in this particular direction. I said, Jack, are you sure? This isn't the way I usually go. This isn't where I usually park. He said, yes, I'm sure. So I don't know what I was thinking. I followed the six-year-old's directions. He said, okay, okay, now, now turn here and you should park in that lot where the security guards are standing. I said, Jack, are you, you sure? Because that sign says VIP only. He said, Pastor Tony, I'm sure. So I pulled up to the security booth. I, I rolled down my window and Jack said, tell them your name. And so I said to the security guard, hi, my name is Tony Sundermeyer. He pulled out a piece of paper and my name was on a list. 
The security bar lifted and we drove in and parked right next to the arena. We got out of the car and headed for the general admission area when Jack said, no, Pastor Tony, we got to go this way. And he motioned for me to follow him. We walked to a door marked executive entrance and the doorman said, Jack, my man. (laughs) And he gave him a high five and Jack said, this is my friend, Pastor Tony. We stepped in and and there was Jack's dad and he asked me, I'll never forget this, he said, did you have any trouble getting in? (laughs) And I said, no, it was all good. Jack led us the whole way. That experience gave me some insight on what the prophet Isaiah once foretold about Jesus when he said, and a little child shall lead them. You see, Jack knew the way to his father and he was leading me right to him. And I call this experience rebellious obedience because what we must do is rebel against our own instincts, our own habits, our own self-confidence, our own ways of doing things, the ways we have always done things, our own self-righteousness in order to obey the instincts, habits, and directions of this child. And we're going to stumble along the way, but we do so with rebellious obedience. Jesus says, follow me, for I am the way and I'm the light in which you stumble. Listen to my voice. So as we stumble in the light, we do so with bold humility. We, we do so with rebellious obedience. And finally, and I'll close with this, we do so keeping our eyes ever open for the light that God wants us to see. A few years ago, I, I got a phone call in my office at the church, and it was from a man I did not know, was not a member of the church. He said as much as he introduced himself on the phone. He said, I just need to tell you something. I need to tell you about what your church has done for my daughter. Uh, just a little context, uh, First Pres Atlanta is right in the heart of Midtown Atlanta. We have a robust ministry to our friends who are vulnerable, many who live on the street. We serve about 1,200 people a month in various ways. And this man was talking about his daughter, and as he was trying to tell me the story, he just got so choked up. He said, just go ask Trisha, and she'll tell you the story. And so I went to the office of Trisha Pasuth. She's uh, the director of our community ministries, a social worker. Uh, and I told her about this guy that called and about his daughter and, and, and that he had said that you could fill in the gaps. You could tell me the story. She said, oh, yes, this happened several months ago. Uh, Darrell, who's part of our facilities team, was outside of the church and underneath the, the High Museum of Art, an overhang on the side of the High Museum, where next to her neighbors was a woman just wearing a, a hospital gown, a hospital bracelet. And Darrell saw her and asked if she needed help. And he, he brought her into the church. They got her coffee, they got her clothes. Uh, she had a substance abuse issue. They got her into a shelter and then got her into a program. And that was the last that they had heard from her. And I relayed that the father had said that she was doing really well, that she was in recovery, that she'd started her education again. That next Christmas, 
I told the story I just told to you. And I was greeting people, as pastors are wont to do after service, wherever you greet people. And this woman came, and she introduced herself, and she said, that was me. That was me. And I just started to to cry. And we hugged, and she told me that she was finishing a master's degree, and she was going to start a doctorate in education. I went and I found Darrell that night, and I was tearing up, and I said, Darrell, do you remember this woman that you saw under the overhang at the High Museum of Art? Do you remember bringing her in? He said, oh yeah, I remember. I said, Darrell, had you not kept your eyes open for her, had, had you not seen her, I don't know what would have happened to her. But you kept your eyes open. Darrell himself has had struggles. Darrell himself has had challenges along the way. In fact, before he joined our staff, before he joined our staff, he was someone that we would serve. And he got his life turned around. And it just goes to show that you can be stumbling in the light. You yourself could be stumbling. That doesn't mean that your eyes have to be closed. It doesn't mean that you cannot see the light breaking in the world. It does not mean that you don't see Jesus in disguise in the most vulnerable and poor among us. We're all stumbling in the light. So stumble well. With bold humility, rebellious obedience, and open eyes for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the world. Amen.